welcome to Dermatology UK, the podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things skin. My name is Emmanuel. And I'm Ashley. And for those of you that haven't joined us yet or are new to listening to the podcast, this is the podcast where we talk about all things skin. So each week or every other week even, we're going to be talking to some of the top professionals here in the UK and further afield about skin. That's right. So um, today's episode is all about emollients, which basically is a moisturizer. It's the medical term that we tend to use here and it is the bread and butter of dermatology nursing. Isn't that isn't that right, Manny? If I had a pound for every time I said the word moisturizer or emollient, I'd be a rich man, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> It's literally the very basics and one of the main reasons that we wanted to talk about it today was because we spend, I suppose, nearly every consultation with the patient at some at some point in their journey through our service. We really want to make sure that they know the basics of how to actually apply Absolutely. a moisturiser. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a really great guest today who's going to answer some of the questions we think you guys at home would want to know. Go on, Ashley, introduce her. Well, well I said, okay, cool. So um, we have a nurse consultant called Lucy Moorhead. So Lucy is an award-winning nurse consultant and she practices at one of the largest leading dermatology centers in the UK. She has years of experience, several publications under her belt, and even finds time to be a trustee to the British Dermatological Nursing Group. Now, for those of you who haven't heard about the BDNG, um, we've recently done a, a post about them on our social media, so check it out. But they have actually really kindly reached out to us um, after we started this podcast to say uh, if any of our listeners are interested in joining their membership, um, they've given us a discount. Now, this is not an advertisement and it's not an, an affiliation code, but it was just quite kind of them to give us a 50% discount for our listeners. And if you do want to access this or find out a bit more information, head over to their page or check out our post. And the code is GERMUKPOD, all in capitals. That's right. And it's uh, 50% off for year one, isn't it, Ashling? Yes. Yeah, I think so. If you're, if you're new or a returning member for a full year, it's £10, which is pretty good. Yeah. So, uh... Should we get on with the episode? Oh, just before we start, let me say that as with all of our episodes, it's purely educational purposes. And this episode does not replace the advice of your dermatologist or local clinician about the treatment of your skin. There, that's that bit done. So let's crack on and introduce Lucy. (laughs) Enjoy. Lucy Moorhead, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and thank you very much for asking me to be your first guest. That's very kind. No, and thank you for making time in your busy schedule to spend time with us. Our first question, and we ask this to everybody that comes on the podcast, why dermatology? I think, like many people, I didn't ever set out to become um, a dermatology nurse. When I did my training, I was actually really interested in infectious diseases, particularly care of the patient with HIV and kind of after consolidating my medical skills I worked on a HIV unit for 18 for 18 months and it was the end of last century um, and it was just when antiretroviral medications were coming out and it was amazing you know the, the change that they made to patients lives and, and patients living with HIV you know we had patients who got so much better and, and just revolutionized their lives and so from there I became very interested in research and drug development and it was sort of coming to the stage where I needed to think about what I was going to do next and I saw a post 
advertised at the hospital I'm working at now um, as a dermatology research nurse and dermatology had always been an aspect of HIV nursing and I came for the job interview really liked the team when I came to the job interview and apart from a little foray into the private sector have now been working in dermatology for over 20 years. Oh that's really interesting I didn't know that you actually used to work with HIV medicine. Mm, yeah, and I think also what your story highlights is just how interlinked both sexual health medicine and dermatology are. Also, in some countries, they actually are still joined. Little fact for are you they? all there. Uh, so, Lucy, let's get down to why you're here. Your <laughs> first question What is an emollient and who should use them? Everybody should be, in my opinion, should be using some kind of moisturiser. And that's basically what we're talking about here is moisturiser. So emollients is more our dermatological name for them. But really what we're talking about is moisturising. And they're the mainstay of good skincare. And we all need to take care of our skin because it's our largest organ. It protects all our internal organs. You know, it's integral to keep healthy. Absolutely. So how do they work then? Emollients or moisturisers work by trapping moisture in the skin and forming a protective oily layer on the outer skin surface, which helps repair the skin and also improves skin hydration. So sometimes how I think about it is it's kind of like a primer. So if you're painting a wall, you prime so that when you put your top coat on, the wall or the skin <laughs> is in the best condition in order to receive and utilize that active steroid treatment another analogy that works quite well is, is thinking about a brick wall and the brick wall not having the cement in between it and actually by using topicals what you're trying to do is protect the cement and an analogy I heard at the weekend from Julie Van Onslen is actually she was saying a very good visual description when you're teaching people how to use moisturizers or why people should use moisturizers and topicals is if you think about a fire so if you think about when the person has an active skin disease it's like they have a fire and then you're putting out the fire but even when the fire's out there may still be some embers left and that's why you need to keep applying the moisturizer so that really we were talking about the difficulty because of covid pandemic at the moment we were talking about the issues we'd had doing telephone consultations and i was saying one of the things i'm struggling with is actually describing visually what I would normally do with my hands and I think even talking to you now I'm aware that I'm waving my hands about so and I thought the whole fire analogy was a really really good one to, to mention. Yeah I've never actually heard of that uh, fire and ember one that's really good. Yeah I'm totally gonna steal that. <laughs> and I just want to ask Lucy should everybody be wearing a moisturizer even if they don't have a skin condition? That would be in terms of general skin health i wouldn't you know so for instance in my family i would encourage everyone to use moisturizer every day obviously if i'm applying sun cream i wouldn't put a moisturizer on and sun cream but it's also it's just checking in looking at your own skin does it look a bit dry actually if it's a bit dry putting a moisturizer on and then you know if i've been out in the sun in the evening obviously i've taken proper precautions just checking in with your skin and seeing what it needs yeah no definitely so if if you do check in with your skin then and you find that it is extremely dry, would you use a different moisturiser than if you checked in with your skin and it was just mildly dry? Well, so moisturisers are kind of broadly divided into three different types. So you have the very greasy ones, so they're mm -hmm. ointments. 
and they're the ones that are made of white soft paraffin or liquid paraffin and they're the sort of moisturizers that you would often use if you have very dry skin or thickened skin and or if you just want to use them at night time you then have moisturizers which are creams in preparation so these are a mixture of oil and water and they're less greasy and actually more tolerated on the skin than ointments if you have very dry skin they're the ones that you need to keep using more frequently but when you put them into the skin put them on the skin will absorb into the skin more easily and then finally you also have you have lotions so lotions are the again they're very cosmetically acceptable often used in facial prep preparations and they contain the least oil but the most water but lotions can be useful in dermatology for sort of hairy areas such as the scalp or areas of weak skin and then you have emollients that are, are moisturizers that are just moisturizers on their own and then these days as well there are a group of moisturizers that are coming out that also have additional benefits so for instance Balneum Plus and E45 Itch Relief have Laura Macrogols in them which help with the itch sensation you have dermal 500 that's a soap substitute that's an antimicrobial adex which has got nicotinamide in it that mm. can help with redness which purports to reduce redness and emmeline emollient spray that can be quite helpful on hot days like this spray it on the skin and it can cool it down and the other thing i didn't say is there's sort of really two uses of emollient so you've got the use of emollients for moisturizing the skin and then you have emollients as soap substitutes. So quite often if people have skin conditions such as eczema or psoriasis, we might advise them not to use a perfumed product, but to use a bland emollient, say for instance 50-50, and use that in place of a soap as well, in the shower or in the bath. And you mentioned um, itchy skin. Uh, menthol, yeah. I've heard, is another good additive, isn't it, for... Yes, yes. So again, you can get... Um, preparations that contain um, percentages of menthol as well and so it's that sort of stinging sensation confuses the itch sensation another good tip for anybody with itchy skin um, and again particularly in, on hot days is that if you have a pump emollient you can put your pump emollient in the fridge and then apply the emollient directly from the pump and again that cooling sensation can help yeah, that's a really good tip there. Yeah, I haven't actually done that before. Uh, but Lucy, uh, can I check with you, when is the best time to put on an emollient? Like, I've heard that after a shower is a fantastic time, is that right? Yeah, so again, I think the most important thing with emollients is that they are applied. So it's mm. for you to look at your skin and actually decide when's the best time of day for you to put a moisturizer in so for some people it is just after a shower that seems to be the logical way to do it and definitely if i was trying to write a treatment plan for a patient with eczema or psoriasis i'd probably be asking them to put a moisturizer on several times a day and one of the times a day would be after a shower and um, it's also important that whenever you decide to put your moisturizer on ideally 30 minutes before or after you've put active treatment on. So if you're prescribed a steroid, you know, if you're using a steroid once or twice a day, it's once a day, I often think the best time to put a steroid on just before you go to bed. Or, and if you're doing it twice a day, you could, you could sort of wake up in the morning, have a bath or a shower, put a moisturizer on, go and have breakfast, get your house and stuff sorted and then put your active treatment on. Admittedly, if somebody's really rushed, then you might have to think about doing that another way. 
Mm, yeah, you're totally right there about trying to fit it into your schedule, which can be a huge challenge for a lot of our patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can I ask about where they can pick up from these moisturisers from, sorry? Like for example, can they get the moisturisers that a dermatologist might prescribe from a pharmacy or do you have to see a dermatologist to get them? Yeah, so I mean, all moisturisers actually that we prescribe can be bought over the counter or, or in the internet. But typically, ones that are recommended are moisturiser emollients that have less perfumed additives and are therefore less likely to irritate the skin. So although, you know, I'm a you know big fan of, I use Dove myself, but actually if you have a skin condition, it is quite highly perfumed. The same as Simple as well. They do have preservatives in them. So there is the potential, not definitely, but there is the potential that they may irritate your skin. So just to be aware of that. But again, the most, the best moisturiser is always, or emollient is going to be the one that you use and finding one that you like. So therefore finding one that you like is really important. And if you buy a moisturiser and it specifically says it's for your body, can you use it on your face? If it's a moisturiser, yeah, absolutely. What you might find, you can use it on your face, but you might find it's a bit greasy. So therefore, normally, moisturisers that are on the face, that you apply on the face, are generally more lotiony rather than thicker ones. Just to be aware that the skin is thinner on your face. And around the and, eyes. And therefore, there's the, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So therefore, you know, if I'm, if I'm advising a patient to apply um, an emollient, then I would use I would always go for a cream based one on the face interestingly having said that my son when he had ex as a child I would therefore do the same I would try and put a cream based emollient on him and he would have eczema that was quite close to his eye area so I'd never obviously put an emollient near or that it was likely to go into his eyes but he would always prefer to have an ointment put on his face because he said that with the ointment it didn't move around as much as the cream so it's just again the most important thing is preference and anybody with kids because sometimes if you have children they can be very very tricky to put moisturizer on so you know tips that I used to from when I would be putting trying to put creams on my son would be that we would try and sing a song and try and sing the song really quickly and I would try and put the moisturizer on and the other thing I'd say with kids is it's always best to start with them naked if you can put the moisturizer on sing a song make it silly and make it fun and also encourage the kids to kind of get involved as well and they can you know little silly things you can do are put stickers on pots and and have reward charts and again anyone who's got a child with eczema um, and you're if you're struggling to put topicals or creams and steroids on which is I think the case of anybody who's ever had to put regular treatment on kids the National Eczema Society have got some really good resources for children which can be quite fun. Yeah, no, definitely. They've got some really good resources mm. on their on their website. And I, I just realised that I don't think we ever actually asked you how we should apply the, the emollient, like, correctly. Can you explain to us how to actually apply the moisturising? Well, so firstly, obviously, infection control. Make sure that if you have an emollient, that A, before you apply it, that you make sure it's in date. Um, I'd also, where possible... I always prefer to try and prescribe a pump-based emollient. But if you are using it from a tub, it should only be used by one person in the family, if possible. So one tub per person. Make sure that it's in date. Obviously, wash your hands beforehand. If you can, try and remove it from the tub with another implement, such as a spoon, and then apply it in the direction of hair growth. And instead of rubbing, 
I would sort of say stroke. And what you're aiming to have is a thin layer left on the skin to soak in. So you don't, when you finish applying your emollient, you should still see it on your skin and give it time to allow it to soak into your skin. And you're, and you're applying in the direction of the hair because of the risk of follicular. Absolutely, in the direction it? of yeah. hair growth, yes. Yeah. So sometimes on your legs that might be straight down, but on your arms it's more of a sort of a corkscrew motion, <laughs> I would say, yeah. And just, and just for people listening in, uh, what is folliculitis? So folliculitis is when your hair follicles um, can sort of get a bit clogged. It can cause a, a sort of a superficial skin infection. And that's something that can occur if you apply emollients in the wrong direction. Another safety concern, actually, which we should mention, is that a lot of emollients, such as 50-50, contain paraffin, which is flammable. Absolutely. There's, there have been concerns raised by like the MHRA and also the fire brigade as well, that definitely any product, so any topical products containing paraffin are flammable. So you've got to be really, really careful, you know, and if you take precautions, so i.e. obviously no smoking around them or, or standing by fires. And the other thing is actually when there have been cases of fires which have been attributed to the use of emollients, it's it's quite often not that the emollient was on the on the patient, but actually that their clothes hadn't been washed properly. So just to make sure that you're washing your clothes at, at a correct temperature and that the paraffin's gone. But there are, and I can send you the links afterwards. There's a very good visual campaign that there's a, like a little video which kind of talks you all through that. But absolutely, to be totally aware that that they can be flammable. Yeah, obviously, if you're having any sort of treatments, such as light treatment for a dermatology condition or radiotherapy, do speak to your healthcare professional to ask for advice when and how you should apply emollients because they may prefer you to use certain products. Just to mention that if you're applying emollients, it's always helpful to have short fingernails as well because there can be a bit of a temptation to scratch. So, you know, if your fingernails are nice and short, I always say you want nurses' fingernails. I always show patients my own. Yeah, you want nice short fingernails, which is... No nail varnish. <laughs> no nail varnish, yeah. So, file down all those jagged edges so that if you are putting on top of the treatment and you have a situation, if you, you know, it can be difficult to avoid the, the urge to it. Again, easier said than done, but always tap rather than... Definitely easier to say than do with the itch there. Yeah, tap, don't itch. Okay, I'll try and remember that. Um, so are there any uh, resources online, actually, um, that you could recommend? Yeah, so if you have a look at the um, British Association of Dermatologists YouTube channel, there are a number of videos on there on how to apply sort of topical treatments. And one of the videos they have is on emollients. They have steroids, scalp treatments, face bandages, wet wrapping. So that's a really useful resource and it's a very it's a very visual aid as well. So that's yeah, the British Association of Dermatologists YouTube channel. Each video is only two to three minutes long. It's not long at all, so well worth. Oh, definitely. I'm just going to ask you a question. You you mentioned much earlier about a shower substitute soap. I was just wondering if you talk a little bit more about that. How would you use a shower substitute soap? Is it clean? Does it you know get rid of bacteria as well like a normal soap? Yeah, so it does. It does. It's not as cosmetically acceptable as a shower gel. So, you know, it can be something that takes a little bit of getting used to. And again, I probably wouldn't do this unless I'd been advised to by a healthcare professional. 
But yeah, so you would generally use an ointment. You can either apply it directly to the skin. In the hospital, we kind of use bandages to make little balls, but that's probably something you wouldn't be able to do at home. You just apply it directly to the skin. You can put it on like a sponge or a washcloth. Again, just be really, really wary that they can harbour bacteria as well. So just to be aware of that as well. Again, use it as a soap and wash it off. It will clean you adequately. I was going to say a couple of other things was that, yeah, if you're using it in a shower or in a bath, remember it will make the shower and bath very slippy. So make sure you've taken precautions or you're aware of that. So I have a shower mat down or a bath mat as well. And then also if you have like any sort of superficial skin conditions, again, I would only do this if I'd been prescribed by a healthcare professional, but a product such as Dermal 500 can be used as a soap substitute, but it, and it has antimicrobials in as well. A moisturiser that people talk about quite a lot is aqueous cream. That's been around for many, many years. That's something that's been slightly controversial. There are There was evidence to suggest it has quite high levels of sodium laurel sulfate in it. So that's the thing that kind of makes soap soap. And that can be quite irritant to the skin. So, really, so with aqueous cream... I personally would not prescribe that at all. But if anybody is using aqueous cream, it should only be used as a soap substitute. But personally, I would rather offer another ointment-based product that could be used as a soap substitute and then as a moisturiser too. Yeah, so soap substitutes there. So now in, I suppose, the current climate with COVID-19 pandemic happening, soap substitutes, I'm under the impression that we shouldn't be you, you know, using them in order to wash your hands properly, we should still be using soap and water and then applying in a, a moisturiser. Is that correct? Yeah, so the, the again, there is really good information on the British Association of Dermatologists website, but the advice is that in line with government guidance, soap and water is the preferred method of cleaning your hand. And again, it's important to remember that actually soap and water is better clean with for cleaning your hands than any alcohol gel and the alcohol gel is also more likely to be irritant to to people's hands so it is again it's about you know washing your hands regularly and then the other thing especially with covid is you're going to get the covid from your hands touching your face etc so again you know it's just about being aware that if you're out and about Try not to touch your face or orifices, for want of a better word, and make sure that you're washing your hands with soap and water. Try and wash your hands in tepid water. Make sure that you're rinsing all the soap off your hands and then pat them dry. So don't rub them dry, pat them dry. And then every time after washing your hands, you can apply an emollient. And again, what I've tried to do in my house is just keep a moisturiser by sink, each sink, so that it's easy for people to find as soon as they've washed their hands. Sometimes overnight, again, you know, depending on how you feel, if you've got some cotton gloves and you can buy cotton gloves from Boots, you can put some moisturiser on your hands quite thickly, put the cotton gloves on and sleep in them overnight as well. The other thing as well, which can be irritating people's hands, is a lot of people at the moment are wearing gloves prolonged periods of time. So people are putting on plastic disposable gloves to go shopping just be aware that the gloves again can be irritant and so what we normally check is that they're nightfall free so again just and I'd also have a look at look at the advice as well because my understanding as well is that gloves are not recommended at the moment although face masks are recommended or advised in public places but yeah so that there's you know the whole gloves issue 
is a bit of a hot topic at the moment because actually, you know, it's a, the, the dangerous thing is your that you have something on your hands and you touch your face or another orifice. But obviously, if you do have, if you are having a hand eczema or hand dermatitis, you know, it's worth speaking to your GP because there are treatments that they can give you. And again, if you're a healthcare professional, it's worth speaking to occupational your occupational health. In my experience, lots of dermatology departments in hospitals are providing support to staff at the moment who are developing hand dermatitis. So that's it's worth contacting. Yeah, definitely. If you are suffering with any type of hand eczema, you should definitely contact your occupational health department or your GP. Uh, But one thing we actually haven't touched on yet, a bit of a segue, I hope you don't mind, but it is getting people's regular emollients. If a patient is having problems with their GP, what should they do? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think actually um, it has got a bit of a bad press. Um, But what we have to be aware of is that we have to kind of use our resources within the NHS sensibly. And actually, emollient prescribing comes to millions and millions of pounds a year. So what NHS England have recommended is that patients should be prescribed emollients if they have a skin condition. So I think historically you could get emollient if you had a bit of dry skin. However, I think that firstly, if your GP is refusing to prescribe you an emollient, it might be worth booking a phone consultation and just explaining to your GP the reason why. Because actually, if you're applying it because you're older and you have dry skin, just to make sure, you know, you can get types of eczema on lower legs as you get older. So actually, just to make sure your GP is aware of the reason why you, you have that emollient on your prescription. In terms of what we try to do for all our patients, and you're right, that sometimes it can be difficult to estimate how much moisturiser patients need. And patients who have severe skin conditions can be getting through two to four tubs a month, so they're 500 gram tubs. What I try to do and what I'd advise anybody who is under the care of a secondary care, under the care of a hospital, is actually just what we try to do is write to the GP. So if I advise a patient to use, say, moisturizer such as like hydromol I would actually write in my letter to the GP that I'm advising this patient to use hydromol I would anticipate that they will require two times 500 grams tub a month for the foreseeable future the other thing we have done in terms of again aiding compliance with moisturizers because this can be a huge problem as well I think a lot of people can be prescribed moisturizers and then not like them it's really important that you have a moisturizer that you like and that you're aware that there are lots of different moisturisers available that can be prescribed. And one thing we've done at our hospital is we can prescribe an emollient trial pack. So patients go to pharmacy if they haven't used a moisturiser before, or if they've been using the same moisturiser for many years, they go to pharmacy and they get five trial tubs and kind of a form which outlines an evaluation on it and they can take the little trial pots home use them and then mark them for consistency and like and then they can ask their gp to apply the one they they like and that is really if you're talking about moisturizers the most important thing is that the patient likes the product they're going to put on because or the person because otherwise they're, they're not you know they're not going to so you know in the past i've had a patients who want to apply Joe Malone moisturiser, I may prefer Hydromol, but at the end of the day, if it's Joe Malone's moisturiser they're going to apply, then that's, you know, then that's the one they use. 
you know, a lot of people may want to use a greasier one at night or in winter and then a lighter one in the summer. So absolutely, you know, the important thing is, is with moisturisers, they're not really going to do any harm so that, you know, you can put them on as often as you like, but just not to use them within an hour of using an active treatment. And also, again, just from an infection control purpose, if you have a tub and, you, you know, the lid's not been put on it, or when you look at the tub, it might look like it's contaminated or it's expired. We would really recommend that you don't continue to use it. If you've had a moisturiser and it's been open for over a year, even if it's within expiry date, I think the recommendations would be that you don't continue to use it. Yeah, no, that's really important, especially for infection. Absolutely, yeah. And you, you mentioned about, um, obviously, the samples. And I think yeah. that's actually really important because the hospital pharmacy or formularies, I should say, keep changing. Um, yeah. But often when they're swapped to a new product, they're more or less the same in terms of what's actually in them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's new things coming out all the time. And you're right that, you know, with hospital formulas, quite often what they're trying to do is, you know, provide cost effectiveness. So they may switch out a product for something that is very similar in constituency and, you know, same type of formulation, but it's a lot cheaper. So, yeah, it's, and so, but sometimes it's not, you know, we've had switches in our hospital and actually people have come back and said they preferred the, the, the cheaper one. project, <laughs> the one they were on before. So as I said, it, it, it really is its personal choice and, and it's, it's maintaining that patient choice that's the most important thing. If a patient really did want to stick with the moisturiser and and it, it isn't on the formula anymore, are is there any way of getting around that? Is, can, can we still prescribe it or...? It would depend on the area where they work. So there would be different agreements in different yeah. areas. So for instance, there are in some areas you can provide exceptional cases in other areas they won't be willing to do that the thing that i was going to say is anybody is having any problems with getting prescriptions that's something that the all-party parliamentary group on skin are very interested in and i've attended some of their meetings for the british dermatological nursing group and actually speaking to mps mps were really not aware of the problems that dermatology patients were having in obtaining prescriptions so if anybody does have any issues at all, be it that they can't get the product they want, they can't get the quantities or they can't get it added as a repeat, then it is really worth highlighting it to your MP. And if you look at the Psoriasis Association website, they have template letters there that you can use. And I know, you know, I think we all sat at that meeting and we, there were sort of several MPs there who were kind of surprised because they said, oh, you know, no patients have ever highlighted this. We, you know, this can't be an issue. But I think that it wouldn't have been my first thought to ask patients to contact their MPs. But again, it's worth remembering and advising patients to do that. And I have personally helped patients contact their MP. And actually, when, when we told, we copied the surgery into the letter and, and actually we resolved the issue quite quickly. So it is worth giving that a go. But again, just to, you know, but sometimes there might be quite valid reasons why surgeries don't want to prescribe things. But, you know, and it is obviously worth, talking to your surgery first and, and yeah. trying to resolve the issue. But otherwise, you know, it, it is something that the all-party parliamentary group of skin who kind of lobby to ensure that dermatology issues are raised at a government level are aware of and are interested in hearing examples of. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Lucy. Um, another uh, quick thing about prescriptions is I know that you can get, um, you can actually pay either in full for a year or three monthly and it actually ends up being 
cheaper for the patient overall. Isn't is that? Am I correct in saying that? Yes, yes. So you can get a, a prepayment prescription certificate. You can apply for that on the website. And yeah, you're right. That is a really easy way to save money if you're getting lots of yeah, items. They get on quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah, because a prescription, I think it's nine pounds fifteen for an item. So again, it's worth remembering that some of the moisturisers, if you are prescribed a moisturiser, and you don't have a prepayment certificate or you don't want to get a prepayment certificate it may be cheaper for you to buy that moisturizer over the counter so that's the first thing to, to think about but yeah so each prescription at the moment costs nine pounds 15 so if you buy if you get a prepayment certificate it's now 29 pounds 65 for three months or 105 pounds 90 for 12 months and they also do a direct debit so you can do it through 10 direct debit payments as well but yeah if you google prepayment nhs prepayment certificate you're taken straight to the link and you can buy it there so yeah it's a really really good way of saving money if you're having multiple items on prescription because you're right you know if you have a steroid an emollient a hair product and a different steroid for your face i'm quickly trying to do my maths here but that would already take <laughs> you over the three month threshold the other thing to say is that you will get fined and i say this because this is happening happened to my husband so if you don't realize your prepayment certificate has run out and you, you tell your chemist um, it's still valid even oh, if it's no. an error you will you will get a fine so it's worth making a note in your diary as, as to when it expires <laughs> gosh definitely that would be a nasty surprise it was a nasty surprise yeah <laughs> <laughs> a very nasty surprise indeed uh, so thank you very much for your time, Lucy. I think me and Ashling have both learned something yeah, today. Uh, if you could, though, just provide us with one take-home message to give to the viewers, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's it's really find an emollient that you like and that you want to apply, and you know, just to apply it regularly. Just think of it as as part of your everyday routine. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lucy. Yes, thank you, Lucy. Really appreciate it. I think I speak for us both when I say we've definitely learned something today and hopefully the listeners will take home plenty. Yeah, and no, I'm sure we'll definitely have to have you back on in the podcast sometime in the future. But until then, I'll see you at work and toodles. Bye. Welcome to the end of the podcast, <laughs> the bit where we reflect on what we've learnt today. Um, sh- what do you think, Ashton? Did you learn anything? No, sorry, Lucy, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> She's joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, it, it was absolutely fantastic. I thought. I think I what I learnt personally was about the uh, MP things. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, that if you are having a hard time getting emollients from your GP, again, the only people that yeah. do qualify to get it on your GP are people that have anything that's considered, and I'm doing quote marks, but you can't see them, mild eczema or mild contact dermatitis. Yeah. So if it's worse than that, you should be getting them via your GP on prescription. And if you are experiencing problems, you can go to your MP. Yeah, so so speak speak to your GP first. And, yeah. and, and as I said, on the eczema, National Eczema Society website, there's actually a really good page there where it speaks what, or, tells you what you should do and they even have a template letter that you can provide to your to your MP and an information sheet for your GP um, explaining you know not only that you should have the moisturizer but how much yeah maybe 
go to the GP first, you're right. GP first, yeah. <laughs> they are busy trying to negotiate Brexit at the moment exactly. at the time of recording. NHS funding and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Another one as well. Ashley, why don't you talk about the gender fire risk? Yes, so um, we mentioned some of the safety concerns with kind of emollients in terms of the paraffin. So you might have heard of like 50-50 liquid paraffin or even just creams, so really thick emollients. You need to be very careful in terms of a flammable risk on the government. So www.gov.uk, if you type in safe use of emollient skin creams, um, there's a really actually informative, but also kind of scary video yeah. um, on there about what you should not do and what you should do in terms of washing your clothes and fabrics at really high temperatures and yeah. you, were, you made a good point there yeah about sofas as well mm. uh you know if you are putting on these thick emollients uh, and then sitting on the sofa if you're anything like me after a long day you like to uh sit on the sofa for as many hours as physically possible uh but if you are putting on your thick emollients before that and sitting on the sofa, maybe put a towel down or something so that rather than everything getting soaked into the sofa, you know, it's going on the towel, you can wash that in the dishwasher or washing dishwasher. machine viewer <laughs> uh, at a high temperature afterwards. Uh, one thing to be aware of as well is avoid smoking. We would say that regardless, wouldn't we, Ashley? Yes. <laughs> for skin health in general and just for your general health but definitely if you're putting on thick emollients you shouldn't be, be careful yeah. yeah definitely and um the other thing as well is about the prepayment certificate which is oh, really yes. good a point yeah. um so if you just type prepayment certificate into uh, into google it'll come off the nhs website and essentially depends i suppose it depends if you've got lots of prescriptions regularly because then it's definitely worth it. Because each individual item on a prescription, um, as Lucy said, isn't £9.15, but for three months, um, it's 29.65, or if you do the 12 months, um, it's 105.90. So it does work out cheaper in the long run if you've got multiple things on a prescription. But you so can do that direct debit, can't you? That 12 month one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. so that's £10.59 a month. So if you get more than two prescriptions a month, so £9.15 times by two goes above 10 point, 10 pounds 59. So if you're getting more than two prescriptions, it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Definitely. Any other hot tips before we go, Ashling? No, I'm, I mean, I think she covered everything. I think, I hope that you kind of are clear on what the difference is between a lotion, a cream, an ointment, about sub, sub, soap, oh my God, I can't talk this morning, <laughs> soap substitutes, and, you know, the other additives that we've covered, um, or Lucy has mentioned, like menthol, for example, we'll also be putting some of this on our Instagram. We will be, yeah. yes. So that's Dermatology UK, the podcast. Yep, yeah, had so to you're looking at me, it's like you don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. We haven't been working on this for so long. <laughs> like, what? Uh, and if you have any questions or any ideas for future episodes, please get in contact with us and we will try our best to help. But no medical questions. We can't answer things about your ashes. You need to see your dermatologist for that. <laughs> but if there's anything that's unclear or, you know, just please do mm. reach out to us. You can... Um, you know, message us on that or we also have a Twitter and a Facebook account um, which goes under the same name. Yes. Yeah. So great. Until next time yeah. guys, stay Hope safe. Enjoyed it. Take care. Bye. Bye.